Welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that's designed to spotlight pioneers in our industry who are changing the way that data is used to drive more engaging data-driven experiences. I'm your host, Ben Chiquetti, and for this episode, our VP of Product Marketing, Devin de Blasio, sat down with Shaylee Singh, COO and EVP of Product at IB Tech Labs, to discuss the work of the IB Tech Labs, data privacy, data cleanroom standards, identity, and much, much more. Before I hand it over to Devon, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects land. But without any further delay, here's Devon's chat with Shaley. Well, hi, Shaley. How are you doing? Welcome to the uh, Identity Architects podcast uh, via InfoSum. Uh, my name uh, and your host today is Devon de Blasio, the VP of Product Marketing at InfoSum. I just want to have a warm welcome to Shaley Singh, the COO and EVP product at the IAB Tech Lab. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, so for those of us who don't know, I I don't know who those would be for anyone listening to this podcast, but can you just give us a brief overview of kind of who you are and your role at the IAB Tech Lab and also just a high level overview of who is the IAB Tech Lab? What what are they responsible for and what what do they do? Yeah, so like you said, I'm the uh, EVP product and CEO at IB Tech Lab. So I kind of look after uh, all of the work uh, that we do uh, at IB Tech Lab. That includes all of the standards, uh, our compliance programs, and uh, our software uh, that we provide to the industry. Uh, been here uh, for about a little over eight years now at IB Tech Lab. I was one of the first uh, couple people to join IB Tech Lab when that was created. Um, so like I said, I, I lead most of the products, but uh, personally I've kind of led uh, a few products in the past. Uh, one is the new ad product portfolio, the all of the new ad formats, um, the MRAID version three, um, uh, also the open measurement SDK project uh, was something that I led. Um, and uh, I've, I've led other working groups like investigations into blockchain for a couple of years. Uh, okay. we, um, started the privacy enhancing technologies working group uh, so that's kind of part of the work that we do. Uh, besides the standards that we create, we also kind of investigate new emerging technologies and ensure that, that we be keeping the industry up to date on uh, what's coming. Yeah, I mean, for anyone in the in, in the advertising and marketing ecosystem, the IAB Tech Lab is a huge component uh, to keep everyone on track. I've been a member of the IAB Tech Lab and, and an engaged kind of participant in many of those working groups for for many years at numerous roles, and so. Um, I'm assuming many of our listeners probably already know the IB Tech Lab, work with them in some way, shape, or form, either in America or in some of the other countries where the Tech Lab exists. And we have a lot of information to dig into, specifically around clean rooms and privacy enhancement technology and all the great things um, that we've worked on together specifically. But we want to kick off with a couple icebreakers just so we can kind of shake off the rust and kind of get things going. If you just want to bear with me in some of these initial questions, just to just to give a little bit more insight about who you are and kind of where you're coming from and your path to, to how you got essentially led to where you are today. So taking as many steps back as, as this takes you, what was your first job in either advertising or marketing that you even recall? Yeah, so my first job in advertising was about uh, 12, 13 years ago when I joined a company called Say Media. It was an ad network uh, okay. on on, uh, on rich media advertising. Uh, I was uh, looking after uh, all of the backend trafficking operations and the, uh, not the operations itself, but the software to enable the uh, trafficking and the creative operations, uh, the pricing, um, uh, predictable pricing. So those were the things I started off 
in advertising with. And it was a great experience to be on an ad network, to be able to see all sides. And sure. And a lot in a very short time. Yeah, I mean, Rich Media, it's taking me back. My first job was in Richmond Rich Media expanding ads. Remember that back in the day, uh, working at an ad server. So I think just I think both of us jumping into kind of learning how the ecosystem worked, I think has definitely kind of set the stage for, for where we are today in terms of leaning into more of the technical side of the industry. And so just thinking about like what you know now at the, at the tech lab and all of your previous experience, what would you say to yourself when you were starting your career back, you know, 12 you know, 13 years ago at that, at that ad network? I would say go for it. Like it's been a great ride. Like this industry is, uh, evolves fast. Uh, there's, uh, there's a, there's a technology evolution, like every one to two years and keeps yeah. you up on your feet all the time. Yeah. It's always, it's always ongoing. And I think the people don't realize that advertising and marketing specifically in the world we're in, is essentially just directly tied to the internet and how fast the internet and technology advance. And it does keep you uh, busy, it keeps you up at night, I assume as well, uh, in, many, in many ways, shapes or forms. But you know, not focusing on the negative, more focusing on the positive. What, what do you love about your, your, your job and your role right now and specifically the industry and why do you work at the, at the tech lab? I mean, digital advertising is, it's like the lifeblood of the internet, right? This is, yep. this is how, uh, the internet moves um, over the years, like digital ad-supported internet has been able to bring like information to the masses, make it free-flowing. Um, it's also supported a lot of entrepreneurs to be able to disrupt and challenge uh, big companies and big industries. Um, so that's that's really interesting. And at IIB Tech Lab, to be at the center of it all, to be able to talk to experts like yourself and others, um, and understand the ideas and and build some of the foundational work that powers all of the digital advertising on the internet. Uh, that's that's really uh, that's really what keeps me going and uh, makes it every day a new interesting day. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, it keeps the internet free and moving for the most part, at least. And there's people can argue on either side of that fence. But um, what about what keeps you up at night? What are the things that you think about that that maybe kind of uh, are unsettling to you that you're working to 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 fight against? Uh, uh, losing the free internet, like there's a lot of fragmentation happening with you know new platforms, um, wall gardens, etc., uh, and that kind of um, are, are taking away. And the wind out of the open internet for some time so we want to keep the standards uh, we want to make sure that you know there are standards that allow uh, everybody to interoperate and keep an open uh, you know, ecosystem going yeah. i think that's what keeps me up at night i agree uh, and i think that's that's definitely something that a rally call that everyone is leaning into now um with all the things that are happening around privacy and technology and things you know around identity i mean i worked at an identity platform for many many years i know that identity is is one of the core kind of components that the tech lab uh, and the IAB standard are looking at on a daily basis. And for, for those of us who maybe aren't aware who are listening to this podcast, I'm just curious from your point of view at the tech lab, what is your definition of identity? What's the easiest way to describe kind of how all of this digital technology is, is coming together to form what, what we're really seeing as the currency that's moving advertising forward, which is this concept of, of identity or customer identity? Yeah, so identity is like, I mean, to explain to uh, a 10-year-old, like it is about you, like your skin color, your eye color, or what you look like, how tall are you? Uh, and also it's about who you are, like, you know, you know what 
who's your hero, what movies do you watch, what sports do you play, and uh, that's what ad- advertisers want to know about. Uh, you know, when you when you're watching content or you're consuming content to show you ads, they want to know who you are so they can um, present you with an ad that's relevant uh, to you and and your uh, and your life at that point in time. And that's what identity is all about: to be able to know these. Uh, users to be able to um, uh, find them um, and and present an ad like, on different uh, sources or different experiences that they're having on the internet. That's yeah, I mean, again, there's a lot of components to go into what identity is, and I think there's a lot of debate in terms of what is you know acceptable versus not acceptable and what can be used uh, at what point in time. And I know that you know the IAB and the IAB Tech Lab are doing a lot to define what those standards are and work across the org- the industry, uh, bringing all people together to kind of build consensus around what is viable, what is not viable in terms of of, of use and consent and all the ways in which uh, organizations who have to use this data or these data assets, um, what their limitations are. And, and so I know there's a couple working groups and projects that are that are happening um, simultaneously that you're responsible for. I also know the IAB itself is doing a lot of additional work as well. But for, for all of us, can you just kind of uh, set the, the record straight in, in defining the difference between the IAB Tech Lab and just the IAB, just to kind of give a sense of where you sit in that ecosystem and where the differences and the similarities are between the two organizations? So IABs, uh, there are, uh, IABs are based on country or region like this, IAB and IAB US, there's IAB Canada, there's IAB Europe, there's IAB UK and so on and so forth. There are about 46 IABs across. Okay. Uh, IABs will typically focus their work on, you know, business side of things like policy, research, uh, business practices. Uh, whereas IAB Tech Lab uh, is more of a global organization. We are a single organization. We work with all of the 46 IABs across mm-hmm. the world. And our charter is to build the technical standards or the technology foundations that uh, support the uh, uh, support things like, you know, uh, programmatic uh, transactions, uh, uh, data measurement, et cetera. Uh, so we, 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 we look at, we build all the standards. We also, whenever there's a need from the industry, we will go ahead and build the software like the open measurement SDK mm-hmm. in a open uh, GitHub repository of open source projects for different uh, functions and utilities. Uh, we also maintain a transparency center to Kind of collect all of the metadata publicly available metadata in a structured format for everyone to use uh, and then we also have compliance programs so we do these three things to ensure that the industry has the right uh, uh, foundation um, for being able to trust each other and participate in an open uh, ecosystem I mean, it's, it's a lot of work that, and a lot of necessary work that has to be done. And again, I know the, the tech lab specifically has a set of core uh, individuals who work there. It's a full-time job for you and many others who are there. But there's also a lot of members like, like InfoSum is a member, obviously, that are participating in this. Can you just give it a sense of, of the membership kind of profiles? Like who actually is, is, is helping um, push these standards and, and, and these, these practices and, and who is a part of these working groups at a high level? I mean, almost everyone. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we have about like 1,000 members or so across the globe. Um, a lot of them common with other AIBs. So there's a lot of publishers. Uh, there's, of course, the ad technology uh, providers. Um, there's agencies. Uh, we even have some brands participating. So we have like 
the end-to-end ecosystem from buyers to sellers to participate in our working groups and inform uh, the work that we do. All right. I mean, that, that's critical to get that consensus uh, across the board and almost kind of democratizing how um, the standards need to be set, which I think is really the only way we, we can do it. Um, but I know it's not easy. I've been in these working groups. You know, it, it can take some time to get some some of these standards out the door with a lot of opinions involved. And I want to dig into a couple of these working groups just to give our, our listeners some idea as to what actual activities and, and um, investments that you and, and the IAB Tech Lab are making. And so can you tell us first and foremost uh, about Project REARC? What, what is Project REARC and what is kind of the goal of Project REARC as one of the working groups? So Project REARC uh, is a, like an umbrella project that has uh, several pillars uh, under it. Uh, we started Project REARC uh, way back in um, uh, 2019, uh, mm-hmm. so you know, privacy regulations were coming into force in different regions and uh, uh, platforms had started taking uh, actions about uh, uh, privacy of their users, like, you know, deprecation of third-party cookies right. uh, and, uh, you know, some other actions that Apple, Apple has taken afterwards and Google's also uh, kind of following that same direction. So there was a real industry direction uh, overall, not just the ad tech industry, but also the industry, uh, wider internet industry. And uh, uh, so... So the Project REAC was the, uh, an umbrella project to address uh, the issues that uh, the advertising industry would face because of that and how to uh, uh, find uh, the or re-architecting the whole system to be more privacy and more secure uh, for consumers uh, and still balance the business needs from advertisers and publishers and uh, uh, ad tech vendors. So it's not just dedicated specifically to the programmatic supply chain, but the supply chain kind of in general, right? Anywhere where data is used yeah, to drive an advertisement, what we, well, I guess we call addressability, right? Which I think is part of the title yeah. of, of the REARC. Three three areas of REARC, basically. Uh, one was uh, privacy, which is to mm-hmm. privacy regulations. Like, how do you comply with these privacy regulations in a way uh, that helps you scale and continue your growth? Uh, the second was addressability, which is about identity and finding the audiences or uh, that that the advertiser wants uh, across the internet. And the third one was uh, accountability to uh, prove to the uh, to the rest of the world that this industry is accountable and we honor the privacy choices that users are making. So those are the three pillars under REARC that that's being worked on now. I mean that that all makes sense, and kind of where those intersect, and obviously where Infosum comes in the picture, where we've started to help, is around the clean room standards, uh, and and some of these things that have been worked on. And I know that recently, over the past month, two documents were actually released um, for public comment, which is a, a process I believe the IAB Tech Lab goes through, where you have all the members, we go into the working groups. I was a part of both of these these documents and creating them, and then we released them for public comment for people who are not part or not members of the tech lab necessarily to provide additional feedback. And then you essentially close it and then you move or move along, uh, you know, with, with the next iteration of that particular document or standard. But can you just uh, go into detail? Like what were the two recent kind of documents or standards that were released um, in the past month through, through the project REARC and addressability working groups? So the two documents that we released were, uh, one was uh, the data clean rooms uh, guidance and best practices. Uh, document uh, that was a more uh, you know overarching document covering comprehensively what data clean rooms are and and what you should know about them as an industry and the second one was a very uh, 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 specific uh, use case based specification uh, open private join and activation or OPJ as 
the working group calls it now. Uh, so that that focused on you know how do you um, uh, execute an operation uh, in a data clean room to find overlapping audiences between uh, a, a buyer and a seller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that focused uh, mainly on the specification, the kind of uh, encryption technologies that you want to use, and the full process and workflow on how you activate those audiences over the internet um, uh, using either an SSP or a DSP for activation. Got it. Okay. I mean, and, you know, obviously, data clean rooms and the concept of data collaboration have been around for many, many years. Obviously, with, with uh, you know, InfoSum, we started in, in Europe through GDPR about, you know, five to seven years ago. Um, but in America, we started to see kind of the clean room nomenclature and the concept of data cleaners really take off, really, I, I would say, aggressively in the past three years. So why why recently, why in 2023 did the Tech Lab decide that this was the appropriate time to release some of these standards and, and, and guide, uh, guidelines and recommendations? I think uh, our CEO puts it nicely, like you mentioned a clean room, the word clean room in a meeting, and it's like throwing a grenade and everybody goes off <laughs> with different uh, meaning and understanding. But the way this industry operates is uh, uh, pretty sophisticated. There are multiple people who come together and, and they on a particular transaction and they collaborate on, on uh, making it work. So one of the important things uh, in the industry is to have uh, interoperability, a common understanding, common taxonomy, uh, and uh, and specifications with well-defined uh, APIs or formats, so that all the partners can talk to each other. I think that those were the driving forces for us to create these two documents. The first one establishes the common understanding, the common taxonomy, and the second one um, establishes like a well-defined format and specification to execute one particular operation. Uh, so that that that's how um, those were the driving factors. It makes sense. I mean, obviously, the biggest one of the biggest hurdles for me in the product marketing kind of seat at an emerging clean room was that you know before we even could talk about our special our speciality, our differentiation, it was just trying to get through the definition of what a clean room was and setting that straight with uh, with whether it's a brand or a publisher or a data provider or anyone who would utilize a clean room. And I, I know that was a big hurdle for anyone in the industry who who uh, is is you know calling themselves a data clean room. And I think that one of the hugest values from that, that, that guidance recommendation document was that common definition that we all could agree upon. Can you, can you just kind of let us know what, what do we actually land on, land on? I know what it is, but for, for our listeners, what do we, where do we land on in terms of what that common definition or common criteria is for, for clean rooms that the IB Tech Lab and the members have defined? Exactly. So, yeah, when we initially started the discussion, this was pretty interesting. Um, so someone uh, in the working group basically mentioned that, you know, if I trust somebody and I have a signed agreement and I don't need anything else, I can just collaborate on the data and mm-hmm. clean room. And I was like, no, oh, this is not like your grandma's ETL machine, like that you can, you can, you can dust up and shine up and call it a right. clean room. Um, so, and it is hard to define a clean room because uh, there are different flavors of it available. Uh, it's an evolving um, uh, uh, product category and people are coming up with different innovative ideas on how to execute uh, a clean room, uh, data clean room. Uh, so we, what the working group did was instead of having like a one-to-line definition, we went about describing some of the key characteristics mm. that define a modern uh, data clean room. Uh, that uh, you should 
you should look at that helps you kind of cut through the bullshit and identify that what is a proper data clean room. Uh, so some of these characteristics were, one was isolation of data that, you know, one party uh, operating in a clean room should not be able to learn the other party's data. Yes. To be able to extract inferences that they need for their business purpose. Uh, the second one was uh, privacy enhancing technologies that a clean room must uh, deploy uh, at least one or more uh, privacy enhancing technologies to ensure uh, the privacy uh, preservance of the personal data that's involved uh, in the data sets. Uh, the third one was uh, uh, beyond just applying PETs, uh, we know that there are still vulnerabilities and uh, scenarios of threat or collusion uh, that can uh, still you know, render all of your work uh, meaningless if somebody is able to uh, break that chain. Um, so then there are uh, the, the clean room should apply a certain governance and control uh, in the use cases and, and from end-to-end purposes, so that uh, you know your your um, your privacy's uh, personal data is preserved and your personal information of consumers that is involved in the data set is secured. Uh, and the third is, uh, of course, governance control. Like any other system, uh, we define like it should have, you know, like scoped access and uh, uh, controls on how long the data is there, what is the expiry, and and transparency around all of that. So those That's great. I mean, yeah, that, kind of uh, help you assure that you are working in a proper clean room. I mean, it's it's critical, right? One of the biggest kind of comments I make is you just, I mean, there's so much technology that I've been a part of, a lot of three-letter acronyms, but I, I feel like clean rooms is one of the first that really focuses on the protection and privacy of, of the underlying, you know, customer itself, right? The actual assets being used which is really just the information about, about individuals. And I think without having a set set of standards, a baseline set of standards, a baseline set of protections and protocols in place, like it's just really difficult for any organization to claim they have something called a clean room without fitting into that box as, as, a, as a first point, right? There's gonna be, all, all of us are gonna differentiate ourselves and kind of how we do the secret sauce and what our specific value is we bring to the market as a clean room. But without those baseline standards, it's really da- it's a really dangerous uh, road uh, to go down um, for any organization who's looking to, hey, I want a clean room. I want to invest in a clean room. This company says it's a clean room, but it's really hard to know this early on whether or not some of these organizations are truly uh, at the service of, of of an organization and their underlying you know customers and consumers. And so, obviously, it's extremely critical to have these baselines kind of defined across the industry. And, and you know, obviously, I know clean room participants and clean room operators were involved in this process. But can you just give me a sense of who else was involved? It wasn't just clean rooms talking to clean rooms. There was others, other larger industries kind of involved in, in this process, correct? Yeah, yeah. This, 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 so this um, data clean room standards were part of the addressability, uh, REARC addressability working group, which is one of our largest working groups, actually. It has about 350 plus uh, members that participate mm-hmm. uh, in the meetings and discussions. Um, uh, and they represent like everybody in the industry from publishers to ad tech providers to agencies um, representations and of course you know there are pretty much all of the uh, no, well-known clean room uh, providers are uh, part of that group plus we have experts like who are interested more uh, in the uh, in the uh, privacy enhancing technologies like you know cryptography 
secure multi-party computing. So there were experts from organizations who have uh, that expertise. That makes sense. Yeah, and I know there's the PET working group as well, who's helping to find those those standards and those 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 specific definitions of the PETs. And I know there's a lot of uh, crossover purposefully. I think that's you know I'm a part of the PET working group, also part of the addressability working group, working on clean rooms. So so it makes a lot of sense. Um, and so in terms of this document that was released, obviously there's this the set of of, of you know, the definition, meaning it's really the, the set of requirements that a cleaner needs to be uh, utilizing to be call themselves a cleaner. But what, what else, what other kind of major points or major recommendations or guidelines did the, uh, did the, does the document outline? So besides just the characteristics of a clean room, uh, the document goes into a little bit more detail on describing, uh, focusing on two aspects like security and privacy. So it describes like what does security mean, what kind of technologies you can deploy uh, and that's not an exhaustive list. This is just based on right. what's known at that point in time. We know that that thing evolves. Uh, and then it has kind of a list and direction for what kind of privacy enhancing technologies can be deployed um, uh, in a data clean room. Uh, it goes into describing the role and functions of a clean room, like what are the different players involved in a clean room, like data contributor, data consumer, uh, data uh, uh, service provider. And a, and a data clean room provider, which uh, which can be there, uh, and then the uh, uh, the different functions that a data clean room should represent uh, or provide uh, for it to be a, a functional and easy to use uh, uh, data clean room. Um, the third thing that it goes into, uh, the other thing that it goes into is the uh, uh, the type of governance uh, for security and privacy right. that it provide uh, and uh, then it looks at uh, the, um, um, the the criteria that a buyer or, a, or a, if you're engaging with a clean room and engaging them, uh, then what kind of criteria you should uh, uh, have in your checklist to evaluate whether this is the right clean room for you, like scalability, speed, uh, computing capabilities, cost. Um, so so it's, a, it's a document that covers all of these areas uh, that will help anyone one to understand the clean rooms, one to understand their role in the clean room, uh, what to expect and what to ask for uh, from a data clean room provider from a privacy and security perspective, right. and then be able to evaluate uh, which one is the right one based on their needs. And look, it, it makes definitely someone like InfoSum our lives easier when an organization, which I've already started to see happen, ask if we are abiding by and follow these recommendations and guidelines from the Ivy Tech Lab. It really, it just kind of puts a smile on my face when I see a client come or a prospect come and ask those types of questions and like, well, actually, you know, we were actually a part of, of creating this along with a, a slew of other members. And, and so it's just really great to see that their organizations are already leaning in, people who already obviously respect the IB Tech Lab and the standards and practices that are being put out and that now are adopting to use those, even when they're not fully kind of released out of public comment yet. So that those are already kind of good signs that this was a necessary and needed um, piece of, of collateral that, that is going to drive a lot more attention and adoption across the board. Um, and I know there was, you know, some things that were not covered in the document. And I know this isn't a, a set standard yet. Again, like you said, it's guidelines and recommendations, um, use cases that you should be applying to clean rooms, you know, how, kind of how it works and a little bit more information about what's happening under the hood. But were there things, uh, what were the things that were kind of purposely left out? The IB Tech Lab just did not want to cover or did not feel was what they were responsible to cover in this, in this particular document. 
Yeah, so that was one of the uh, things that we decided early on, like what we would not cover uh, as part of this uh, recommendation guidance, and that was the legal and policy uh, mm-hmm. aspect of uh, uh, engaging in a data clean room for a couple of reasons. One, we wanted to focus on uh, the work on helping you understand what a clean room is from a function and technology perspective. Uh, and the second one was that, you know, uh, uh, the policy uh, can one, one it can change from company to company based on their needs and how they do their conduct their business. Uh, and that's probably a separate project in itself to define a policy for <laughs> data clean rooms. Uh, and the third one was like the, the policy or the legal uh, of privacy uh, based on the privacy regulations is a layer that 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 will always be there over and above right. um, uh, any any technology uh, that you uh, work on, uh, and we don't typically define that. That that's that's best defined by each company's legal counsels. That's their job, and that's yeah. they should be taking their advice from, uh, and not from uh, tech lab. So we we didn't go into those areas. Right, like tech lab is not a legal entity. I know you have a legal. Um, uh, working group that digs into the policy and, and all of that, but which is which is separate but somewhat connected, right? Um, and I know there's also going to be interplay, which is kind of the beauty of the tech lab and all these members being involved. You have the addressability working group focusing on things like clean rooms and like you know ID standards and identity. You have you know some of these policy working groups focusing on what what policies are coming in that are going to affect some of the technology standards being created. And then you have the PET working group, which is specifically focusing on the actual like cryptography and the machine learning and all the things that are happening under the hood of some of the specific uh, protocols and, and, and tactics and tools used. And from your opinion, obviously, you said earlier that a cleaner needs to have, let's say, at least one kind of PET or privacy enhancing technology utilized. And so from your experience thus far, working in the PET working group, working in the clean room or addressability working group, what, what like kind of uh, interplay have you seen between those two groups and how have you seen them influencing each other? So uh, the privacy, like one thing I wanted to mention was that uh, uh, for the policy parts, like IAB does run, like I said, IAB, that's kind of IAB's uh, role to yeah. work on the policies and, and get all the policy folks together if there is a need for a common policy to be defined. So they have the IAB uh, Policy Affairs Council where this kind of discussion can happen. Right if there's a need for common policy definitions uh, for clean rooms in future. Okay, great. Yeah. So the privacy enhancing technologies group is an even more focused group on focusing on the technologies that is uh, a whole new body of uh, 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 privacy technologies called privacy enhancing technologies, which basically help uh, uh, ensure that the, the, there is uh, the, the privacy is inbuilt into your tech stack uh, automatically versus as a uh, add-on uh, later on. Uh, so some of these technologies deal with like you know on-device, you know keeping the minimizing the data, right, and keeping it as much on, on device as you can, and taking only what is necessary out of it, uh, and then protecting it with uh, cryptography. Um, or when you're running an operation and uh, having you know uh, things like differential privacy or key anonymity uh, with minimum thresholds. Uh, and uh, adding noise to the data uh, or doing a more sophisticated secure multi-party computing. So mm-hmm. that working group focuses on these technologies and their applications to ad tech. So that's what that working group works on. Uh, Makes so, sense, yeah. yeah. And so they, I think a lot of people get, oh, sorry, go ahead. When we need help, like when we are do, defining, um, you know, uh, uh, PETs, 
the needs for data clean rooms, that's when we would go to that group and expert from that group would advise, like these are the list of technologies that can be applied in a data clean room that you could use. Because I think there's a lot of confusion where people think like a clean room is a PET and, you know, people who are in this space and kind of who are doing this day, day in and day out understand like that's not true. A clean room is, you know, is a solution that, you know, that has been created that utilizes these PETs in, in various ways, right? But PETs and privacy and technology is used throughout the tech uh, tech stack, right, in many different ways, when from storage to, to activation to, to, you know, to all the different protocols in between. And so I think it's just important for us to know that, you know, there's there's obviously connectivity and, and synergies between PETs and data clean rooms, obviously. But we have to understand that, that privacy and technology is, is new, but it is something that is critical to, to essentially understand and standardize and really implement and adopt across the entire marketing and advertising ecosystem. Because, again, clean rooms solve critical problems, but it's only, you know, in a certain kind of bubble of use cases where I think PETs are obviously expansive and kind of can cover the gambit across the entire ecosystem, across the entire tech stack. Yeah. So like data clean room is about data collaboration. It describes yes. the, the overall operation uh, from uh, matching to activation to how to protect the data throughout the uh, uh, use case. That's what data clean room does. And, and PETs are uh, are, are a technology layer that can be used inside a data clean room, outside of it. Uh, like in our OPJA spec, we're talking about how to use this in a matching, uh, which is part of the data clean room, but then also, you know, use it in activation, uh, which is outside of a data clean room. So let's let's jump into to OPJAS, right, or uh, OPJAS. Uh, just to, to give a quick overview, kind of what it is and what it's meant to do. From my understanding, obviously, it's it's to enable that that ability to do the matching and collaboration in in a um, in a sta in a standard pr protocol, right? Essentially, creating an open source version of of this ability to to make it easier for organizations to to join their data sets together uh, in a more democratized fashion, but also kind of level setting and uh, uh, creating a baseline for how cleanrooms can be used uh, more robustly across the ecosystem. I, I kind of want to hear your kind of your point of view in terms of what that is and what it's meant to, to uh, provide to the ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, at the shortest and simplest explanation, uh, OPJA, uh, OPJA is a specification to uh, determining overlapping audiences between two parties. Mm -hmm. uh, a, buyer, a buyer may want to know, like, amongst these publishers, where can I find the audience that I'm looking for? And they could use OPJA for that. Um, it has two um, two kind of two parts in it. Uh, one is the matching um, uh, server, or how do you do the matching, uh, and that defines the format of how you do provide the input and what is the output that you get uh, out of it. And then the second part is the activation protocol, like how do you activate this uh, in your uh, either it's open programmatic or even if it's direct direct sold inventory how do you uh, ensure that the uh, that the uh, uh, that the privacy is preserved while you're activating it uh, so so that's that's what it describes uh, in terms of matching it describes you know the inputs uh, it's we've, we've we've narrowed it down to email and phone numbers as the match keys that are one okay. of the requirements for any any matching uh, but the plan is in, in backlog in future to include other types of uh, uh, IDs um, that can be used for matching purposes. And then it describes the full encryption protocol on how do you uh, encrypt the uh, outputs uh, so that, that when they're used in the activation protocol, they cannot be 
Uh, it can prevent data leakage uh, mm -hmm. and uh, ensuring the privacy is preserved throughout uh, the use uh, right from the publisher right to the advertiser. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think for, 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 for simple joining between two organizations, obviously for, for audience activation, it's, it's a definitely a necessary first step. And I know a big kind of buzzword over the past, let's say, well, you could say this, this has been a buzzword kind of in, uh, in an evergreen kind of capacity, but at least really the clean rooms in the past six months to a year, interoperability has been a hot topic for organizations um, because there are a lot of clean room choices out there and a lot of clean rooms uh, that aren't necessarily interoperable with each other. Um, but why, why is interoperability such an important subject or, or, or topic when we're talking about data clean rooms in, in your perspective? So uh, three reasons, right? Like today advertisers work with multiple publishers and multiple sources of inventory. Uh, and similarly, the uh, publishers or sources of inventory work with multiple advertisers. Uh, and then we also have uh, uh, data clean room providers who help support uh, both of their use cases. And there also you have like multiple companies competing. So every advertiser has a choice. Uh, so the way interoperability helps in this is that each entity can choose uh, the provider they want, or they can build their own clean room, like some big publishers uh, have probably done, yeah. uh, but still allow uh, to easily interact and collaborate with each other. So if I, if I choose, say, for example, as a publisher, if I choose InfoSum as my data clean room, uh, and so my advertiser with the OPJS specification, if I'm trying to find overlapping audiences, I have to build, uh, the advertiser has to build their data set and their APIs or enablers only once, and then they can talk to InfoSum, they can talk to another publisher's clean room. Uh, similarly, on the publisher side, they have to build everything just once, and they can uh, uh, interoperate between clean rooms. That's... That's the uh, benefit that the specification for interoperability provides uh, yeah. in the efficiency, um, you know, depending on how many you're working with, you can multiply like 5x or 10x uh, efficiency will be uh, the benefit. Yeah. And obviously, I, you know, the InfoSum is involved in, in this in this spec as well. And obviously for us. Uh, it's critical that we remove any level of friction where we can in terms of the adoption of, of clean rooms. Obviously, to benefit ourselves as a clean room, uh, you know, operator and provider, but more so just because I'm a believer in, you know, in the future state of, of privacy centricity across the ecosystem. I really think it's the only way that we're going to right in the ship in terms of the advertising ecosystem, keeping the open internet free with the use of, of advertising. But we don't need. Um, all of the, the lossy protocols and risky protocols that we've kind of built all of this up on top of. And I think, that, you know, uh, Opsha is just one necessary step forward to help, you know, just, again, uh, make it easier for organizations to utilize this technology without feeling that, that it's a lift or a burden or it's, it's, it's lack of efficiency. And so I think, again, we're, we're all in this as well. We want to see it move forward. And so with Opsha kind of open for public comment, the data clean room, uh, you know, guidelines and recommendations open for public comment. Um, what's next? When is the public comment over for everyone on the call, uh, the call everyone on the, the podcast who's listening? Um, how do they get, gain access to this? And kind of what are the next steps after, after this, the public comment has been closed? So the public comment period was over a couple, couple of days back. On, oh, it's already on over. Really? All right. Uh, yeah, but our... Next meeting is uh, going to be in the second week of May. Okay. 
Uh, so we'll be collating all the public comments and presenting them to the working group uh, for a final disposition by the working group, whether they accept a public comment or they reject a public comment. And based on that, uh, the final version uh, would be published. I'm hoping like by within a month after that, like second, okay. by, by early June, we should be able to publish the final uh, versions of both of these documents. Uh, but that's not the uh, end of the road uh, because we already have some backlog items for OPJA, uh, like I said, like you know, some other type of IDs uh, and some more uh, uh, information on some of the encryption methods. Uh, so that work will go on and we'll release like a version 1.1 uh, mm -hmm. when all the information about those is ready. Uh, there's already a proposal about, uh, so based, like when we looked at the uh, specifications, interoperability specifications, we realized that the kind of data sets that are involved uh, in different operations are, are different. And so what we will end up having is a library of specifications, like OPJ is the first one. We all right. have a proposal for uh, a, a similar interoperable specification for measurement and attribution. And you know, if you look at that, uh, the what you get from your typical digital data from web and mobile uh, is very different than what you might get for a TV environment. Right. You might end up having a separate one for that that addresses that particular data set. So that way, we'll evolve a library of uh, interoperability standards that that all of the providers can use uh, to make it a more efficient uh, transaction for everyone. That's fantastic. Um... And in terms of the recommendations and guidelines, obviously, I, I, I think we're also going to, there's going to be other versions of that, I'm assuming, as we expand, whether it's going to include some of these additional uh, standards uh, as, you know, a kind of more of, a, of an integrated um, release. But, uh, but I'm assuming there will be other standards and, and protocols, um, or at least recommendations from the Ivy Tech Lab related to clean rooms, correct? Yeah. Um, so just kind of changing gears slightly, uh, what additional standards, let's say outside of clean rooms, um, would you like to, to, to lean into? Are there, are there things that are initiatives that um, we have not, you have not kind of explored that you think that you personally or you at the tech lab really are looking to do within the next, let's say, 18 months? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> one is uh, that it's already started work on like a couple of these um, uh, one is the guidance, uh, similar to what we did for data clean rooms, is for ID solutions. There's a whole new breed of ID solutions that have come to market in the last yeah. couple. Of years. Another confusing area, yes. <laughs> so that's the next thing that we're picking up in the addressability working group to provide like guidance and recommendations on ID solutions. Uh, you know, going into details of what is an ingredient of an ID solution, so people can assess themselves. Uh, what is sustainable and what works for them right uh, and then the second one is uh, uh, going back to the pets working group um, to provide uh, more deeper dives into the specific technologies the first one that we're picking up is differential privacy okay. um, and 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 idea is to develop that like there's there's enough literature on differential privacy out there you don't have to define differential privacy mm -hmm. or double differential privacy but what we want to do is uh, uh, define the uh, the guidance or practices around application of differential privacy to different use cases in ad, uh, advertising, like you know, uh, for for targeting, for uh, attribution, or for doing any other operation uh, that uh, is typically a part of uh, uh, an advertising workflow. Uh, so that's that's those are the two immediate ones uh, that we are picking up. 
Uh, there's work going on the accountability platform that also might need help from the uh, privacy enhancing technologies working group, okay. uh, uh, which is basically to, uh, I don't know if you're aware or people are aware that a couple of years back as part of the REAC, we released an accountability uh, uh, platform or accountability framework, uh, which is like uh, collecting blood samples. So uh, based on uh, your uh, you would post certain samples of data uh, into a repository where then they can be matched. And uh, so we can, you can understand like all the participants in the supply chain are honoring uh, the, uh, the, the privacy choices that the consumers have made. Okay. Uh, there's work going on on uh, making a final version of that and rolling that out. Uh, that's pretty important. Where, um, what's the best place for people who are listening to find out about all the things happening at the tech lab? Uh, if you're a member, you, you get a, a regular newsletter uh, participating in the working groups. Um, and of course, we, we do put out like news releases. Uh, we have a blog section where we put out uh, what's coming up. Um, we're active on social media, Twitter and LinkedIn mostly, where we put yeah. out everything. Uh, so yeah, those are the channels. Uh, and if you have any questions, it's a very simple, just write to support at iabtechlab.com. Uh, we we have a, a system where we address all the questions within like 48 hours. Oh, wow. okay. Uh, is there anything we didn't cover uh, or mention that you wanted to add in? Yeah, I just wanted to like not add in, but kind of reiterate that, you know, um, since we're talking about data clean rooms and privacy, uh, you know, digital advertising has been a great like enabler for the internet for all the things that we use uh, online. And uh, I think the industry should, uh, uh, and, and it's going on, undergoing a lot of changes because of regulations, because of platform yeah. changes. Um, and we should really embrace these changes, I think, because all of our lives have moved, moved online and it's really important to honor and preserve uh, privacy of consumers uh, throughout the supply chain. Uh, so yeah, that's just want to reiterate that, that the industry should embrace that and uh, you know there there are uh, a lot of there's a lot of new technology there's a lot of new ways of doing things uh, that balance the business needs with the privacy needs and and we should work towards that yeah uh, i definitely second that i think obviously policy is not can never go as fast as technology moves but i know we're trying to catch up and i know obviously the tech lab and all the members involved are doing um, the best we can to provide you know the 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 intelligence and the the experience in terms of the fact that, you know, ad tech is one of the, the major, you know, organizations in technology that does move extremely fast. You know, when you when we build things in ad tech and MarTech, I think, you know, we're really on the cutting edge of, of many of the technologies that the, the regular consumers just see, you know, kind of throughout their average day or people are talking about on different types of social media. But you know, I think people don't realize that ad tech's an area where a lot of that R&D and exploration is happening many times first because there's so many dollars being, being used to drive um, kind of that innovation. And I think, you know, all of us now have just taken a, a step back and looked at the progression we've made. And I think that, you know, the earlier we can start to adopt some some basic protocols, basic procedures, basic accountability, as you said. Um, as we build and go and go fast, I think that that's something critical that we have to do as as a group. So I just want to thank you and the and the tech lab for taking on um, that responsibility and kind of helping everyone kind of come together um, in a, in a community manner to to do this the right way. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Happy to, happy to do that.
all the time. And, and finally, you know, this podcast is all about the individuals who have pioneered, you know, new ways to use data to deliver better customer experiences. So when you look at people you admire in the industry, we're always looking for who the next person is that we should have on to have a, you know, intelligent conversation um, uh, with. Uh, anyone you recommend from your roster of, of people you admire that we should have on the on the, the show? I think uh, Oren, the founder of uh, LiveRamp, I think, he, I don't know if you've had him, but if you... If you can, like, I think he was one of the first ones to see the value and the importance of uh, data and identity uh, for an open, uh, you know, ad-supported internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a he's a he has good, very good perspectives on okay. on, on data. Great. We will definitely drop him a line to get him on. I don't think we've had him on yet, but uh, we'll definitely look to do that. Um, and so, again, I just want to thank you uh, for your time here. Uh, thank you, Shelley, for, for taking the time to speak with Infosom and myself uh, on Identity Architects. And hopefully I'll see you at a Tech Lab event soon or on uh, you know, a webinar uh, very, very soon. Yep. Looking forward to that. And thank you for uh, having me here. And, uh, yeah, please, uh, the last message, like everyone, uh, you know, we are happy to have more people on our working groups and collaborate uh, uh, to, to build, uh, the right foundations. Yeah. Be a, be a tech lab member. Everyone, everyone, uh, go online and sign up for it. It's a, it's a definitely a worthwhile experience that I have been a part of for, for many years across many companies. Uh, so thank you again for your time, uh, and all, all of your wisdom here. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks again to Shaley for joining us on Identity Architects. Data cleanrooms really have become a must-have piece of technology for companies to unlock the full potential of their first-party data. So it was great to hear about the work the IB Tech Labs is doing to define clear standards and requirements. All that leaves for me to do is remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.